Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Paul sets before us today, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. It says this, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I want to read that last part again. He says, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently, I'm not about to be arguing with you, not about to be fussing with you. I'm not to be getting frust- I'm not about to be frustrated with you. If you think anything differently, God will reveal it to you also. Because sometimes you just got to stop arguing with people. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, God, that we can come today and join together to study your word, God, and to pursue you, God, as we learn and grow together. I pray today, God, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray that today would be a day that we would press into Jesus, um, that the Holy Spirit would work on us as we listen, as we respond, as we ponder our own lives in light of what God has done for us. And so, Father, I pray that today's words would resonate in our hearts and resonate in our spirits, resonate in our minds, that it would echo throughout our whole lives, God. I pray today, God, that you would bring us closer to your son, Jesus that we would grow in Christ-like conformity today, God. I pray that this is not just another uncommon Sunday where we go through the motions, God, but I pray that we engage completely today, God. I pray that we would allow you to, to do work in our hearts. I pray that we would allow you, God, to have your way in our lives. And so, Father, don't let this just be a sermon that we hear, but let it be a sermon that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you today that we can actually study your word. We thank you that we have a God that has spoken to us through his word. And so, Father, we receive today all that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Man, you may be seated. My sermon title this morning is A Goal Worth Pursuing. A Goal Worth Pursuing. I said at the outset that the Apostle Paul sees his relationship with Jesus as a goal to be obtained, as something that he can grab, grab and grasp a hold of. He does not just see his salvation as something that has happened to him, and now there's nothing else to do, but he now, after he has been in a relationship with God, looks at his relationship with God as something to consistently and constantly pursue, not just in the meantime, but for the rest of his life. He is trying to get all of God that is possible while he is alive. If if you want clarity on what the goal is, the goal he stated last week in our sermon, but I'll read it today. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Paul clearly states 
what his goal in life is. His goal is not to meet somebody. His goal is not to come up. His goal is not to get the bag. His, not, his goal is not to level up. His goal is not to do none of that stuff. Paul tells us in verses 10 and 11 what his goal is in this life as a Christ follower. His, he says this, the goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul's goal is to know Christ and to know the resurrection power that got Jesus up out of the grave. He wants to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. He wants to grow through the same type of sufferings that Jesus uh, experienced in his life in the earth. He wants to be conformed to Jesus. He wants to be made like Christ and be fully in union with Jesus. He wants to know God in the fullness of God in a relationship through Jesus. He wants to be like Jesus. He wants to fellowship with Jesus. He wants to know him completely. Everything there is to know about Jesus, Paul wants to know. I'm not talking about head knowledge or some scriptures. He wants to know God in his heart. He wants to know God through experience. He wants to know what, what know God through this way. If, if, if temptation is before him. He wants to choose obedience and experience what that freedom is like in knowing Jesus. He wants to know God fully. He wants to get all of God that is possible while he is in this life. He is not satisfied with where he is. Let me say that to you again. This is the Apostle Paul and essentially he's telling us that I am not satisfied with where I am. Now all of us can have a great appreciation and thankfulness of salvation by grace that we receive but we need to know that we have not arrived and that there is still something that God wants to do in our lives and in our hearts. God is not through with you. you. You have not arrived. I have not arrived. And so what God does when he saves us is God charts a course before us and God puts a goal of knowing him right before us. And our ultimate goal is to continually live this life to grow into a point that we know God more intimately. The problem is we live in a fallen world and to get to know God ain't that easy. It's not easy. It will not come, though, from apathy or from being lethargic or, or having some kind of casual relationship with God or some casual head knowledge with God if we hope to grow and mature. There has to be some effort and some work that must be put in in order for us to reach the goal that God has set before us. And the Apostle Paul in today's text lays out before us in this extraordinary and well-known passage of Scripture that growth and maturity does not happen by accident. It will take more than us being bystanders in the faith in order for us to know God. Your spiritual growth will not happen by accident. It will not happen just because you hope it will happen. You will not grow because you hope you will grow. You will not grow just because you said a prayer for you to grow. You will actually have to do something. And Paul gives us two things today. I only got two points. Don't get too excited because you're thinking my message is going to be short because typically I have five points because today I got two. So you think you're going to get out early, but I'm going to use all my time that the Lord has given me because I want to know Jesus. And the first thing that God says for us to do in our goal of knowing Jesus is point number one, humbly acknowledge that you have not arrived yet. Humbly acknowledge that you have not arrived. Point number one, humbly acknowledge that you're not quite there yet. Here's what he says in verses 12 through 13. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect. 
but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Wow, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. Bro wrote all them letters in the New Testament. This is the one that God met on the Damascus Road and said that he would be the instrument to the Gentiles to take the gospel to them. We read all Paul's letters. Paul, if we look at Paul, we think he's a superhero or a super Christian. And Paul says, I ain't there yet. But Paul says, I'm not there. What type of humility do you have to have to write all of these letters? Eventually, that will be in the canon of Scripture. And then you say, I ain't made it there yet. And so Paul teaches us something in humility for those of us who may be tempted to say, I've been saved for X amount of years. Therefore, I need I know all I need to know. I'm ready. I'm ready. Put me in the ball game, coach. I'm ready to do my thing. Paul says, hold up. Wait a minute. Let me put some truth in it. Paul says you ain't there yet. If you think that you are, are there and you're better than somebody else, I want to remind you of what John said at one point. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the truth is, is that all of us have sin in us and all of us need Jesus to work on us every day of our lives. And Paul is saying, I am not there yet. To believe and trust in Christ is to communicate with your words in your life that I cannot save myself. Therefore, I need to humble myself and ask God for his help. That is the nature of our salvation. We need to know that we cannot do enough works of our own and enough deeds of our own in this life that is sufficient enough for us to save ourselves. And the Apostle Paul is admitting in this text, the champion of the faith is admitting that he he still has a ways to go and being like Jesus. If Paul got a ways to go, what does that say about you and I? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Paul says, I ain't there yet. He levels with them and says, yes, I am who I am. And I may be a bit further along, but I'm actually in the same boat because I have not arrived yet. Brothers and sisters, I am in this race with you. I have not broken the tape at the finish line. He's humble. And the first thing that we need to do, if we're actually going to grow and mature in the faith and know God, is that we must humble ourselves and realize that we have not arrived yet. We, we have not made it. He says, I'm not there yet. I, I've not reached the goal, but I'm in the race. I, I haven't reached the goal, but I'm actually in the race. And, and here's, here's another kick you need to know. I'm not going to settle with where I am. I'm not going to settle for where I am, Paul says, but I make every effort. I make every effort to take hold of it. Paul is like, yes, I'm not perfect, but I'm not going to walk around like you new Christians telling everybody, well, I ain't perfect and using it as an excuse not to continue to grow. You know, that's your favorite phrase. It goes a little something like this. Let me kick it for you. You say this. Well, I ain't perfect. God is still working on me. God ain't through with me. I ain't perfect. Nobody's perfect. Then you pull out your favorite scripture out of the whole Bible. You pull out Romans 3.23. It says, for we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul says that's true, but it's not an excuse to stay where you are. It's not an excuse to stay stuck in your struggle. Paul says, I make every effort to take hold of it, not just because I want to, 
but because he's already taken hold of me. That's amazing. And so the determining factor for Paul to reach his goal, what's driving Paul is not his attempt to first grab a hold of God, but rather he's making every effort because God first got a hold of him. Oh, let me take you back to some theology. God always beats us to the punch. God always beats us to the punch. If we are saved and in Christ, it's not because of you. It's because God made the first move on you. He initiated our relationship with him. Remember Ephesians 1 and 4. We studied this before. For he chose us before the foundation of the world. So how are you going to pick him first if he picked you before the foundation of the world unless you're old as God? And you're not. Ephesians 2, 4, remember this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. So how are you going to get God first if you're dead? He picked us first. And this is what happened to Paul, and it is what happened to every Christ follower that there is. We were saved by grace, not because of anything that we did to deserve it. We, like Paul, are now making every effort because of the grace of God that has captured our hearts. It should be amazing for you and I that God saved people like you and us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. No, you were not neutral with God before you came into a relationship with Jesus. No, you were enemies of God. You were enmity with the cross. You were at enmity with Christ. You were not in some neutral relationship. You were his enemy. It was like Israel and Palestine. It was that kind of relationship. And God made a move on you because he loved you. And if that is, is it, if that is all of our story, then we all should be captured and say, you know what? If he held me, then I got to chase after him. Like, like that should compel our hearts to not just watch from the sidelines any longer, but makes us want to get in the game because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so I think about pickup games. Oh, my God. Sometimes pickup games can be the worst if a lot of people is out of the park playing. And here's why. If somebody picks you on their team and it's a lot of guys out there, it's a chance that if you lose... You might not play again that day, especially if you're not a good player. I, I'm going to get picked, but you might not get picked. And, and so any guy or gal that's played ball before would tell you, you want to do everything you can to stay on the court. Like you don't want to get off the court because especially if you won the first game, Oh, you tasted that victory, especially if the game was close. And it was like 11-10, the other team, and either they could hit a two and get a 12, or you got to hit one more bucket, and you hit that another bucket. Like, oh, God, thank you, Jesus. And you get to stay on the court and wait, wait for the other team to come on. It's the same way with Jesus. We've tasted this victory. And we can't get enough on it. Enough of it. We want to stay on the court. I want to stay in the race. I want to stay in the game. This felt good to me. I tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I can't get enough on it. I want to play every day, all day. I want to be in the game because now I know what it feels like when somebody picked me and they picked me and they put me on the winning team. You and I on the winning team. And so we look at this. We say, oh, he's making effort. Hear me clearly. This is not Paul working for salvation. This is Paul working out salvation. 
He's already saved. He is making every effort to work out the implications of the gospel because the gospel has implications. God saved us. Something happened to us, and now we live into that. The gospel has implications. It's not like we, we get saved and we stay the same. No, we're never the same. We're completely different because when he saved us, he didn't leave us and make minor tweaks and adjustments to our personality. No, God made us a whole new person, and that new person now lives into the new implications from which they've been saved. All right. And so God is opposed to earning. He's not opposed to effort. Not opposed to effort. The free gift of salvation, forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. Is a stimulant, not a sedative. It's a stimulant, not a sedative. It doesn't make us chill. It makes us alive. It makes us alive. Oh, my God, I want to. I'm forgiven. Oh, my God. I have salvation that I didn't earn. Oh, my goodness. I'm right. As, as wicked as I've been in my past and in my present, I'm righteous. Oh, my God. That doesn't make me lazy. That doesn't make me complacent. That makes me want to give God everything that I have. And so this is a loud call and trumpet blast for the church not to become complacent. This is a call for us not to be complacent. It is a call for us to not become satisfied with where we are. Yes, you should always remember and celebrate what God has done. But we can't forget that although what we celebrate what God has done, God ain't done. God is still working in our present. There's still work that he's doing in our lives. And there's a course that he's set before us that we must run to complete. And Paul says that, hey, I'm not there yet. I'm still working. I'm still striving. I'm still uh, exerting effort in my relationship with God. And so for Paul to say this in his, in his humility, this is a great example of a servant leader's mindset that all leaders should have. I am not an example of this, but I will tell you one thing, because I want to know God and pursue God. I am the pastor, but I put myself in a life group, and I've, ne- I've never had a week where I didn't learn from other people that you may not consider as far along as I am. I learn something every week because I'm around other Christians and I humble myself and put myself in a posture to learn something because I know I ain't there yet. And some of us are so there that all we need is Sunday morning. I'm going to just keep going for y'all get mad at me. Number one, we need to humbly acknowledge that we have not arrive. Point number two is that because of that, we need a passionate pursuit of God. Point number two, we need a passionate pursuit of God. Would you look at verses 13 and 14? The B clause of 13 says this, but one thing I do. Paul says, I ain't there yet, but there is one thing. I ain't made it, but there's one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, I reach forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul says, one thing I do. He has a focus and a commitment. He has tunnel vision on this goal. Paul is like, there's one thing I do. What is one thing that you do? If there was one thing that characterized your life, what would it be? What is the one thing you do? What is the one thing that characterizes your life? Paul says, one thing I do, I forget 
what is behind me. I forget what is behind me and I reach forward to what is ahead. All the things that I've accomplished at this point, the planning of the churches, the advancement of the gospel, the way I used to work against God and I was, uh, had my own self-righteousness when I persecuted the church. I had all of these spiritual uh, accomplishments and then God grabbed me on the Damascus Road. I put all of that stuff behind me. I did not rest on my former accomplishments. He didn't arrest, rest on his laurels. He didn't allow himself to have a false sense of having arrived and you and I need to realize this. Yes, we have, may have grown some seasons. Yes, we may have been delivered from some stuff. Yes, we have made some progress in some areas, but we don't stay stuck there resting on our laurels of what happened last season. There's still some work for God to do in our hearts in this season. And Paul says, I forget what is behind me. I literally don't care anything about it. He's saying, I will not allow my past achievements or failures. I need to say that he won't allow his past achievements or failures as a Christian to prevent him from focusing on what is ahead. Somebody needs to hear that. Paul says he cannot allow his achievements or his failures because some of you are stuck on your failures. You can't just get out of last season. But God has called you to get up. Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. You know what that means? That if he got, got, got Jesus out of the grave, he can get you out of your mess too. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Whatever you feel like you're stuck in, whatever it feels like you're on the hamster wheel or the wheels keep spinning in life and you can't get out of the mud, God is powerful enough to bring you out of it if you get to know him. He says, I forget what is behind me. If you've had some past, past failures, it's not to say that the past doesn't affect our lives today, but it is to say it shouldn't determine your future. Should not determine your future. If you've had some past achievements, it's not to say you can't celebrate the good times. It's just that you can't let the past success make you complacent today. Can't let it make you complacent. Paul literally says, I'm forgetting while I'm running. I'm running and forgetting. I'm running and forgetting because anybody that's serious about running in a race realizes that the worst thing you can do while running is look behind. You can't look over your shoulders to see where everybody else is. You can't be trying to, you can compete and run by keeping your eyes straight ahead of you but you can't compete. It would not be advantageous to you to look to the left or look to the right to see where everybody else is. And some of us are too busy looking to see where everybody else is and you can't make ground yourself. God has called you to put your eyes in front of you that to look to what is ahead. This is what he's called you to. He didn't call you to what's back there. He called you to what's in front of you. And Paul looks at his life and his journey to know God and to know Jesus, and he, he sees it as an athletic competition. I love what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Look at this. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. Nobody who wants to win is complacent. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. 
Thank you, Jesus. And here's, I love verse 26. I love what it says in NLT. I love it. So I run with purpose in every step. Oh, my God. He ain't wasting no steps. Every step matters. Everything he does matters. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. And we got some shadow boxing Christians. I got to be honest with you. Some of y'all are just fighting the air. 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. There's three things we see in that. We see passion, we see purpose, and we see discipline. We see passion, we see purpose, and we see discipline. He is striving strenuously. He's giving all that he has. And then we see something else. He says that, he says, I run with purpose every step. He's strategic in how he runs. He's strategic in how he runs. He ain't pretending that he's competing. He's in the actual game making real moves. And so he says, I run with purpose in every step. What does it look like for you to run with purpose in every step? What does that look like? Do you have a plan to grow in Christ? Or are you just winging it? Are you shadow boxing? Or do you have a strategy to grow? What does it look like? And then we see he's self-disciplined. You're not disciplined if you show up because somebody made you do it. If they had to beg you to get in the group, that's not discipline. But a disciplined person says, I don't feel like it, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm over it. I don't need I don't want it no more. I'm doing it anyway because I know that I actually need it. I'm just in my feelings right now. I'm just, nope, I got to get up early because if I don't, the day is going to get away from me and I'm not going to spend a second with God. Nope, I know it's going to get crazy in my day. As soon as I walk in the office today, somebody's going to say something to me and I'm going to have to go up and lose my mind up in here, up in here. So I got to get up early in the morning, spend some time with Jesus so I can have this built-in thing in me so I don't respond how I feel I responded, but I can respond like I got the fruit of the Spirit. What is running with purpose look like with you? Okay, okay, I don't know the whole Bible, but you know what? I'm going to park right here in Philippians because that's where we've been for 27 years. I'm going to park here. I'm going to study it and learn everything that I need to learn. I'm going to look back at old notes. I'm going to rewatch some sermons. I'm going to learn everything I need to know about this, uh, about this particular uh, uh, book in the Bible, and I'm going to commit it to memory because I know that I'm going to need it, and I'm going to need to regurgitate it, and I'm also, because I've learned it, and it's become like nature to me I'm gonna live out of it but what is running with purpose look like for you I'll show you what it looks like for Paul he said in Hebrews 12 1 therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the ones that so easily trips us up And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. What does it look like for you to strip off every weight? Better yet, what weight is slowing you down? When we see this, this is Paul pressing into sanctification and growth. He is intentionally making moves to make himself look more like Jesus. 
He's intentionally doing this. He is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in him as he utilizes the means of grace that God has given him. What do you mean means of grace? You've heard me say this before. The means of grace are all the things that God has provided for us for us to grow in Jesus. The Bible, praying, community with other Christians, coming to church, serving in church, serving in the community, sharing your faith with other people. Those are all means of grace that God has given Given us so that we can grow in Christ-like conformity. How can sharing my faith with somebody make me grow and be like Jesus? Because when you realize they ask you a question that you don't have an answer to, you're going to go to run the Bible so that you don't look like a dummy the next time. And God is going to use that rejection to drive you to his word so that you can put it in your own heart. And we see Paul allowing the Holy Spirit to work in his life. He says, I pursue, I press on toward the mark. I'm trying to lay a hold of this thing. I'm trying to grab it. He says, when he says, I, I press or I pursue, it's literally an Olympic term that means to, to be persistent towards a goal that is put before you. Paul is not coasting. He's not loafing. He is running hard after God. This is not a let go and let God theology. That's why you ain't growing, because you let go. And let God, and you're stuck like Chuck. I'm gonna just let go and let God. No, you're not. You're gonna grab hold of God as He has hold of you, and y'all gonna work it out. He says, I pursue as my goal. The prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I'm pursuing the call of salvation. I want to stand before God justified. I want to stand before God righteous. But the only way I'm going to do that is to make sure that my election and my calling is sure by enduring in this race and to keep running even if I get tired. I'm not just running to run. I'm running to win the prize. I want to stand before God in the judgment seat of Christ. And I want him to look at me and say, well done, that good and faithful servant. So, he's not just trying to be a better person. The gospel is not about you being a better person. It's about you being like Jesus. You don't need God to make you a better person. God didn't save you to make you a better you. God saved you to make you like him. This is not moralistic, therapeutic deism, but we're just trying to be morally good. We're trying to be like Jesus. But it comes at a cost and a price. And Paul is looking back, evaluating his life in light of the standing before the judgment seat of Christ where we will all be judged. And Paul is striving his goal is to receive the crown of righteousness, the unfading crown of glory, to one day to be able to worship the Lord face to face, to experience the unending presence of God and to hear, well done. He wants to hear this. He wants to experience this. And so he is trying to know God in that way, on his way to get to where he's going, which is God's presence, ultimately. When I look at Paul's life at the end of his letter, we read this letter in Philippians. This is 30 years later after Paul's been saved. He's been saved 30 years, and he's still trying to know God. You've been saved 30 minutes, and you had enough. I will never understand people who say that God, Jesus has saved me, 
and they bow out of the race. That's perplexing to me because somebody may not have explained to you the totality of the gospel. God saved you from beginning to end, but in the middle, you got to run. You got to run. We never stop in this journey. We never stop. We look at Paul at the end of his life in this second letter to Timothy. Look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. Oh, my God, there's so much wisdom in this. Paul says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I want you to remember that. He says the time of his death is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I remain faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the thing of things of this life. And he's going to Thessalonica. Let me just pause and say, I didn't mean to say this, but look at Demas. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of his life. Let me tell you this. Some people who start with you will not finish with you. Christians is going to Galatia. Titus is going to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. I think we know his ethnicity. When we come, be sure. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with you at Carpus, but also bring my books. And my papers. Paul is at the end of his life and he's still trying to grow and learn. His work is done. Corinthians, planted. Ephesus, planted. Philippians, planted. Galatians, planted. All these churches have been planted. And Paul is like, hey, I'm at the end of my life. I'm about out of here. Come, please, soon. By the way, bring my book, my book, bring my coat because I'm cold. But bring me my books because I still need to learn some more stuff. I still want to know God. That's amazing to me because some of us don't like to learn nothing. You wait every Sunday for me to tell you about your faith. Do yourself and God a favor. Have the self-discipline to learn about him on your own. This is a man at the end of his life that is still humble and still learning and still growing. Although he knows he's about to die, he's not satisfied with where he is in God. No matter what age you are, if you are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, until your eyes go dim, there's still more for us to do. There's still room for us to grow. And here's what he says in verses 15 through 16. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to, the, to whatever truth we have attained. Let me show you if you're mature or not. Let's take the maturity test. Here's the maturity test. The maturity test is to ask yourself a question. Have I arrived and am I capable to do what God has called me to do? If the answer to the question is yes, you're not mature. If the answer to the question 
is no, I ain't ready. That's a sign of maturity. A sign of maturity is knowing that you're not ready yet. Wait a minute, I got 2,000 followers. I got 2,000 people following me. Surely I'm ready. My phone comes with a camera on it. I'm ready. I can create my own YouTube channel. I'm ready. People are following me. I'm ready for it. None of us are ever ready. There's always room for us to do and grow in the faith. There's always room to grow. Another sign of maturity is when a person says, well, nobody's perfect, and they say, so I'm, I'm good where I am. That's a sign of immaturity. But the person who's mature says, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I ain't satisfied with it. I want God to continue to work in this area until I get to where I need to be. This is a sign of maturity. And he says, this is how you will think if you're mature. And if you think differently, God will reveal it to you also. Because sometimes you can't argue with people. You can't tell them nothing. Here's another sign of maturity. is when you're able to listen. That is a sign of humility and maturity when you can listen. But if you're a mature person, sometimes you have just to have to let God reveal things to people. You can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody. But those of us who are mature will think this way. He says, in any case, and I'm done. We should live up to whatever truth we have attained. We should live up to whatever truth we have attained. It is to say, don't turn back from the progress that God has made in your life. Don't, don't digress. Don't, don't go back. But keep moving forward. Build on what God has already done in your life. The Bible doesn't just tell us what truth is. The Bible teaches us how to respond to the truth. And whatever truth we've attained... Live up to it. Strive. God's commands are not there to imprison us, but God's commands are to cause us to experience flourishing. If we keep God's commands, we will flourish in this life. God would not give us commands to do that would not cause us to flourish. And this is what God has set before us. And I know you're thinking, man, that's a lot, it's a lot to do. But I want to tell you something. The course has already been charted. Jesus has gone before you and I. And his race wasn't easy either. But because he kept the end in mind, he kept going. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and I'm done. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, 
he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Jesus has started it for us. You know how you know you can finish? Because Jesus started it. And if God started something, God will finish it. Paul ran with assurance because he knew if God grabbed me, God was going to hold on to me until I reached the finish line. So yes, we're tired. Yes, we're over it. Yes, we don't always feel it. Yes, sometimes our emotions get the best of us. But keep going. God never calls us to do something that his grace won't enable us to finish. So this is a goal that is worth pursuing. If it gets hard, keep going. If it feels like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good where I'm at, keep going. God wants to know you in an intimate way. And if you've tasted his goodness, and you've seen the goodness of God in your life, and you realize that nothing is better than his presence, keep pursuing it because it's more where that came from. He never runs out of drink. He never runs out of food to satisfy us. And so I want to encourage you today to consider what, it, what does it look like for you and I to run every step with purpose, to be intentional about how we pursue Jesus. What does it look like? What, what weight do we need to cast aside? What weight do we need to take off so that we can run better? And if you feel stuck, I want to remind you that Jesus hung on that cross, shed his blood, and it looked like it was over. But on the third day, something supernatural happened. And what happened to Jesus has happened to you and I. God raised his son up out of that grave, and now he sits at the place of honor, and he has a name that is above every name. At, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And let me tell you that that same Jesus is sovereign over our lives, and you and I can finish the race. Remember the gospel as you run. Jesus name. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.